This is a recording of If Ye Believe on His Name, wordplay on the name Samuel in Helaman 14.2 and 12-13 and 3 Nephi 23.9, and the doctrine of Christ in Samuel's speech, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint faith and scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. The Semitic Hebrew name Samuel, Shemuel, most likely means his name is El, i.e., his name, the name that he calls upon in worship, is El. Although it was also associated with hearing, Shema, God, e.g., 1 Samuel 3, 9-11. In the ancient Near East, the parental hope for one thus named is that the son and his name would glorify El, a name later understood in ancient Israel to refer to God. Or, like the biblical prophet Samuel, the child would hear El, or God. El is heard. The name Shemuel thus constituted an appropriate symbol of the mission of the Son of God, who, quote, glorified the name of the Father, Ether 12.8, was perfectly obedient to the Father in all things, and was the prophet like Moses par excellence, whom Israel was to hear or hearken in all things. Deuteronomy 18.15, First Nephi 22.20, Third Nephi 20.32 Jesus may have referred to this in a wordplay on the name Samuel when he said, quote, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite that he should testify unto this people that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me that there were many saints who should arise from the dead. Third Nephi 23.9 Samuel the Lamanite had particularly emphasized believing on the name of God's Son in the second part of his speech, see Helaman 14.2 and 12-13, in advance of the latter's coming. Samuel thus seems to use a recurrent or thematic rhetorical wordplay on his own name as an entry point to calling the Nephites to repent and return to living the doctrine of Christ, which activates the blessings of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Mormon took great care to show that all the signs and prophecies that Samuel gave the Nephites of Zarahemla were fulfilled at the time of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, as Jesus glorified the Father's name in every particular, and found further fulfillment in some particulars during Mormon's own life and times. Mormon had an exceptional regard for Samuel the Lamanite as a prophet. He demonstrates as much by his lengthy inclusion of parts of Samuel's prophecy to the reprobate Nephites of Zarahemla, Helaman 13-15, and also by the care he took to show how the signs and prophecies that Samuel gave his hearers came to complete fulfillment. Nevertheless, no greater commendation of Samuel, the man and his message, exists than the one given by Jesus Christ himself. Mormon records that Jesus mildly chided the Nephite record-keepers, including Nephi III himself, for failing to include Samuel's prophecy regarding the resurrection of the dead, and numerous post-resurrection appearances of the righteous dead. See 3 Nephi 23, 6-13. This censure included the following statement, quote, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel, Shemuel, the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people, that at the day that the Father should glorify his name, 
Hebrew Shema, in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead, and should appear unto many, and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Were it not so? 3 Nephi 23.9 In this declaration, Jesus plays on the Semitic Hebrew name Shemuel. His name is El. In terms of its onomastic components, Shemo, his name, plus El, El or God. In other words, Jesus invokes Shemuel, quote, a name which glorifies God, close quote, in close conjunction with his own stated mission as the Son of God, the Father glorifying his name in him. This, of course, was Jesus' humble way of confirming that he had glorified the name of the Father. In this article, I endeavor to show that Samuel's speech, as preserved by Mormon, includes language that plays on his own name in terms of its Semitic Hebrew meaning, his name is El. Moreover, I attempt to show that Samuel the Lamanite's repeated use of the collocation believe on his name, Shemo, in Helaman 14.2 and 12-13, constitute a deliberate rhetorical wordplay on his own name. He uses this wordplay as an entry point to calling the Nephites to return to the doctrine of Christ. Samuel, his name is El, or the name is God. The Hebrew Bible attests Samuel as the name of one of ancient Israel's most important prophets. The biblical text etiologizes the name Samuel in terms of the verb sha'al, ask, request, demand, loan upon request. 1 Samuel 1.20, CF 1.17. But also creates numerous instances of interpretive paranomasia on the name Samuel in terms of the verbs shama, hear, hearken, obey. For example, Samuel's birth narrative describes Hannah praying to God. Quote, now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Lo Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. 1 Samuel 1.13 The point here, of course, is that God did hear Hannah's prayer, though Eli could not. In the subsequent birth of a son named Samuel, Shemuel, the ancient Israelite audience can hear the aural echo of Shamuah plus El, heard of God. The narrative of Samuel's prophetic call in 1 Samuel 3 has a slightly different emphasis. The narrative records how Samuel uniquely heard the voice of God. Quote, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Shemuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Shomea. So Samuel, Shemuel, went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, Shemuel, Shemuel. Then Samuel, Shemuel, answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth, Shomea. And the Lord said to Samuel, Shemuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it, called Shomo, shall tingle. 1 Samuel 3, 9-11 the wordplay on Samuel in terms of hearing the voice of God and God's doing a thing or word that will be heard suggests the meaning El is heard or God is heard, similar to the well-attested Hebrew name Shamua, Shamua, the one who is heard.
Additional passages throughout the Samuel-Saul cycle link play on the name Samuel in terms of Shama to hear. A point on which virtually every modern exegete agrees is that Hannah's explanation for naming her son Samuel in 1 Samuel 1.20 is not etymological. Quote, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, and called his name, Shemo, Samuel, Shemuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord, may Yahweh she'eliti, the notion that Shemuel derives from Shaul Me'el underlies this explanation. However, as many commentators have noted, this paranomastic explanation of the name Samuel in terms of the verb Sha'al, ask, clearly fits the name of Saul, Shaul, asked, rather than Samuel in etymological terms. Since the biblical narrative already has the imminent advent of Saul in 1 Samuel 8-12 through 12 in view, the narrator's primary concern in including this etiology is not to offer a precise etymology for Shemuel, but to establish an inextricable onomastic link between the names and persons of Samuel and Saul, whose destinies are intertwined. For these reasons, seeking a more precise scientific etymological explanation for Samuel becomes necessary. As noted above, the call narrative of the biblical prophet Samuel, for whom Samuel the Lamanite was likely named, thoroughly ties the name Samuel to the verb shama, see 1 Samuel 3, 9-12, through, through a play on similar sounds, paranomasia. The homophony between the name Samuel, Shemuel, and the verb Shama creates another midrashic or interpretive meaning for the name Samuel, suggesting the idea, God is heard, hearer of God, or as Garciel puts it, one who hears the word of God. We note the prominent juxtaposition and repetition of the name Samuel with the verb hear throughout the Samuel cycle. Nevertheless, the more likely etymology for the name of Samuel, Shemuel, at least in terms of its Hebrew spelling, appears to be his name is L, S-M-W, name plus the possessive suffix W, his, or his name, the name on which he cultically calls, is L, from an earlier Semitic Shemuhu plus Il. As Kohler and Baumgartner aver, Samuel constitutes, quote, a personal name which has many precedents, in Amorite, Western Semitic, in Ugaritic, which corresponds to Hebrew Shemu, is Sumu, Samu, Shumu, close quote, i.e. name. Peter Ackroyd has noted that Shemuel, quote, means the, or his, name is El, i.e. his nature, his person is El, close quote. To which he adds, quote, it is a name which glorifies God, close quote. The presence of the theophoric element El, understood later to refer to God, is beyond dispute, since it constitutes one of the commonest onomastic elements in biblical Hebrew. West Semitic names like Sumu-An, i.e. Sumu-El, quote, the name of one of the kings of Larsa, close quote, support this etymology. Others have suggested that this element is a form of S-M-H-S-M-Y, to be high, thus L is exalted. 
Although the name Shemuel much more plausibly represents Shemo plus L than SMH, SMY, a paranomastic association along the lines of the wordplay involving Shem, name, and Shamayim, heaven, in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11.4, would have been natural, if not inevitable. Quote, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, Shamaim. And let us make us a name, Shem, i.e., a reputation, or even a monument, or a memorial, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Close quote. See further below. At that day, the Father should glorify his name in me. As noted at the outset, the supreme commendation of Samuel the Lamanite as prophet comes from Jesus Christ himself. After quoting Isaiah 54 to the Lamanites and Nephites assembled at the temple in Bountiful on the second day of his ministry there, the Lord declared, quote, And whosoever will hearken, Yeshama, unto my words, and repenteth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Search the prophets, for many there be that testify of these things. 3 Nephi 23.5 The Savior, quoting or paraphrasing the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18.15-19, had just previously declared, quote, Behold, I am he of whom Moses spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear, Elau Tishma'un in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear, lo yishma, that prophet, shall be cut off from among the people. Verily I say unto you, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, Shemuel, the biblical prophet, and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have testified of me. 3 Nephi 20, 23-24 it is in the context of the foregoing that Jesus then commands the Nephite prophetic records be brought forward for examination. For they too were among the raised-up prophets, like unto Moses, who typified and testified of Jesus Christ. Samuel the Lamanite, like his namesake, was one of those prophets. In examining the records, Jesus soon recognized that one of Samuel's most important prophecies was missing from the collection. Gently reproving Nephi and the Nephite record keepers for their failure to record this prophecy, he mentions the name Samuel in close connection with his own mission to glorify the Father's quote, name, of which Samuel had prophesied. Quote, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel, Shemuel, the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people that at the day that the Father should glorify his name, Shemo, in me, that there were many saints who would arise from the dead, and should appear unto many, and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Were it not so? 3 Nephi 23.9 This juxtaposition of the name Samuel with the phrase, Glorify his name, creates a lucid wordplay, strikingly consistent with the etymology and function of that name, His name is El, or God, or the name is God i.e., a name which glorifies God. In other words, Samuel's name constitutes a sign of what the Father did, quote, glorified his name in Jesus, close quote. And what Jesus did, quote, glorified the name of the Father, Ether 12, 8, 
See also 3 Nephi 11.11 below. Since the theophoric L element in Shemuel sometimes denoted God in the most general sense, one can variously understand its precise referent depending on the literary or historical context. For example, the literary etymology in 1 Samuel 1.20, I asked him from the Lord, interprets El as referring to Yahweh. In earlier times, however, El had reference to El, the father of the Canaanite pantheon, C.E.G. 4Q. Dut. J. and 4Q. Dut. Q. Deuteronomy 32.8, C.F. Ugaritic Il, or El, and the Bane'il, which can be rendered sons of El, or the family of El. Moreover, Jesus' use of Shemuel, or Shemo, polyptaton, recalls Samuel's emphasis in his speech to the Nephites of Zarahemla, quote, believing in his name, Shemo, Helaman 14.2 and 12-13, see below. And it is even possible that when Jesus states, quote, I commanded my servant Samuel, Shemuel, the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people that at the day that the Father should glorify his name, Shemo, in me, 3 Nephi 23.9, he includes a part of the prophecy that Mormon elided from his presentation of Samuel's speech. A prophecy of the day when the Father would glorify his name in the Son fits Samuel's thematic emphasis on the divine name in the second part of that speech where Mormon places the resurrection prophecy. Jesus' Shemuel, Shemo, Polypton, then, also recalls two seminal moments earlier in Mormon's abridged Third Nephi account of the complete fulfillment of Samuel the Lamanite's prophecies. Indeed, he evokes at least two divine pronouncements from the aftermath of the fulfillment of Samuel the Lamanite's prophecies concerning the death of Jesus Christ and the destruction that ensued. First, he harks back to this declaration, quote, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or El Elohim. I created the heavens, Shamaim, and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father and the Father in me. And in me hath the Father glorified his name, Shemot. 3 Nephi 9.15 Second, Jesus' words recall and restate God the Father's testimony of him as Mormon records and preserves it in 3 Nephi 11. The voice of the Father from heaven introduces Jesus thus, quote, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, Shemo. Hear ye, Shemu, him, 3 Nephi 11.7. The Father's command recalls Moses' charge regarding the raised-up prophet in, quote, Unto him ye shall hearken, Tishamu'un, Deuteronomy 18.5, or him shall ye hear, 1 Nephi 22.20. God the Father's testimony of his Son also appears to somewhat reflect the structure of Isaiah 49.3, 1 Nephi 21.3, quote, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified, at Pa'ar. However, the idiom glorified my name may rather reflect the liturgical language of Psalm 86, quote, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name. 
shimcha forevermore. Psalm eighty-six, twelve. See also verse nine. Jesus, the worshipper of God par excellence, subsequently describes how he glorified the Father and His name. Quote, I have drank out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. Third Nephi 11:11, C.F. Psalm 47-8. O ye people of the land, that ye would hear my words. Samuel the Lamanite was a prophet's prophet. He demonstrates a thorough knowledge of earlier Nephite prophecy. Likely named after the ancient biblical prophet, Samuel's use of prophetic speech forms also suggests a broader knowledge of ancient Israelite prophecy. Donald W. Perry identifies six, quote, revelatory speech forms or formulaic expressions that are unique to prophetic writings, close quote, all of which Samuel employs within his speech. Thus, in perhaps the most Israelite fashion imaginable, Samuel calls on the Nephites of Zarahemla to hearken, or hear, the words of the Lord as he delivered those words to them. Quote, Behold ye the people of this great city, and hearken unto my words. Yea, hearken unto the words which the Lord saith. For behold, he saith that ye are cursed because of your riches, and also are your riches cursed because ye have set your hearts upon them, and have not hearkened unto the words of him who gave them unto you. Helaman 13.21 Perry cites Samuel's command, quote, hearken unto my words, close quote, as a classic example of the use of the prophetic proclamation formula, and, quote, an emphatic summons to hear the word of the Lord, close quote. He chides the Nephites precisely because they have not hearkened unto him or the prophets before him, e.g. Helaman's sons, Nephi and Lehi, who had been calling them to repentance. The first part of Samuel's speech, comprising Helaman 13, closes with yet another plea to Samuel's Nephite audience that they will hear him. O ye people of the land, that ye would hear, cf. Hebrew Tishma'u, my words, and I pray that the anger of the Lord be turned away from you, and that ye would repent and be saved. Helaman 13.39 Samuel's prophetic plea that the people would hear has a double echo in his own name, and the figure of the raised-up prophet as described in Deuteronomy 18.15-17. His additional wish that they would repent and be saved begins a focus on the doctrine of Christ that is strongly interwoven wordplay on the name Samuel in terms of the phrase, believe on his name, in the next part of his speech. Then cometh the Son of God to redeem all those who shall believe on his name. After Samuel's prophetic plea that the Nephites, quote, would hear his words, close quote, Mormon abridges Samuel's speech. Then he resumes it thus, and now it came to pass that Samuel, Shemuel, the Lamanite, did prophesy a great many more things which cannot be written. And behold, he saith unto them, Behold, I give unto you a sign, for five years more cometh, and behold, then cometh the Son of God, Hebrew El or Elohim, to redeem all those who shall believe on his name, Hebrew Shema, Helaman 14, through 2 the point at which Mormon chooses to resume Samuel's direct speech is significant for at least two reasons. First, 
In resuming the speech with a juxtaposition of the name Shemuel, with the giving of a sign that would mark the coming of the Son of God to redeem all those who shall believe in his name, Shemuel, Mormon draws out the lexical link between Shemuel and its onomastic components, his name, Shemuel, and God, El Elohim. This wordplay leads us to see that Shemuel itself constitutes a fitting sign of the Son of God's mission to glorify the Father and the Father's name, in addition to the other remarkable signs pertaining to Christ that Samuel gives. Hebrew Shem, or name, in some contexts took on the meaning of posterity, see e.g. Deuteronomy 25.7, Ruth 4.5, and 10. Isaiah 14.22, adding an important new sense in which Jesus glorified the name of the Father. See again Ether 12.8, C.F. Moses 1.39. Second, Mormon resumes his record of Samuel's speech where the previous part left off, Helaman 13.39, i.e. with a moristic reference to what Nephi described as the doctrine of Christ in 2 Nephi 31, or, quote, the very points of doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. 1 Nephi 15.14 As Noel B. Reynolds has shown at length, Nephi and his successors often invoke the doctrine of Christ in moristic form, or as a marismus. At least three examples of this kind of marismus, Helaman 13.39, 14.8, and 29, and arguably four, Helaman 14.2, occur in Samuel the Lamanite's speech, and three of these in direct connection with wordplay on Samuel's name, Helaman 13.39 and 14.2 and 8. At least two prominent texts from the Hebrew Bible, widely cited over the last few centuries in discussions of salvation, can be read or understood as moristic summations of the doctrine of Christ. Paul, at least twice, quotes Habakkuk's statement, quote, the just shall live, Yehyeh, by his faith, Habakkuk 2.4. On one level, Hebrew emunah, as faith, constitutes the first principle of the gospel. On another, emunah, as covenant faithfulness or constancy, constitutes the fifth principle of the gospel, enduring to the end. Live, Yehyeh, in the sense of eternal life, cf. Chayeleolam, Genesis 3.22, represents the last principle. Applying Nephi's perspective to Joel's prophecy in Joel 2.28-32, Masoretic Text 3.15, yields similar interpretive results. Joel concludes his prophecy of the latter day, or afterward, outpouring of the Lord's Spirit, and the signs in the heavens that would precede, quote, the great and terrible day of the Lord, close quote, with the promise that, quote, Whoever shall call, Yikra, on the name, Shem, of the Lord, shall be delivered, Yamaletz. Joel 2.32, CF Acts 2.10, Romans 10.13. Calling upon the name of the Lord represents having faith in the Lord, the first principle of the gospel of Christ, while deliverance, Pelatza, represents the last, i.e. salvation or eternal life. Samuel the Lamanite's subsequent prophecy of signs in the heavens that would herald the coming of the sun appears to follow the structure, or at least the trajectory, of Joel's prophecy of signs in the heavens before the coming of the day of the Lord. 
including a moristic promise of deliverance or salvation through the doctrine of Christ. Quote, and behold, this will I give unto you for a sign at the time of his coming. For behold, there shall be great lights in heaven, Hebrew Shamaim, insomuch that in the night before he cometh there shall be no darkness, insomuch that it shall appear unto man as if it was day. Therefore there shall be one day and a night and a day, as if it were one day, and there were no night. And this shall be unto you for a sign, for ye shall know of the rising of the sun, Shemesh, and also of its setting. Therefore they shall know of surety that there shall be two days and a night. Nevertheless, the night shall not be darkened, and it shall be the night before he is born. And behold, there shall be a new star arise, such an one as ye have never beheld, and this also shall be a sign unto you. And behold, this is not all. There shall be many signs and wonders in heaven, Shamayim. And it shall come to pass that ye shall all be amazed and wonder, insomuch that ye shall fall to the earth. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall believe on the Son of God, the same shall have everlasting life. Helaman 14.3-8 Samuel augments the previous wordplay on his own name, those who shall believe on his name, Shemal, with his use of the terms heaven, Hebrew Shamaim, twice, and the sun, Shemesh, paranomasia that functions similarly to the one in Genesis 11.4, quote, Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, Shamaim. And let us make us a name, Shem, or reputation, monument, or memorial. Samuel prophesies that everyone who sees these signs and wonders in heaven would fall to the earth. Those who would affirmatively respond in faith, whosoever shall believe on the Son, would activate the doctrine of Christ unto everlasting life, in the same way that, quote, the just or the justified one shall live by his faith or faithfulness, Habakkuk 2.4, and that, quote, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, Joel 2.32, Masoretic Text 3.5. If Samuel's use of the phrase, believe on his name, constitutes a play on his own name, whether in the context of the speech or on the literary level of Mormon's editorial work, his repetitious use of the word believe may also constitute a play on or reference to his ethnic status as a Lamanite. As I have argued elsewhere, the name Laman and Lamanites came to have pejorative associations with unbelief, unfaithfulness, or no faith, among the Nephites, clearly on the basis of Nephi's words in 1 Nephi 12, 22-23, and probably earlier texts like Deuteronomy 32, 20, which described Israelites who were delinquent from the covenant as, quote, children in whom is no faith, lo emun, close quote, i.e., they have dwindled in unbelief. As we will see, Samuel's repeated exhortative use of the verb believe Hebrew, Aleph M.N., causes his immediate Nephite audience and Mormon's Latter-day audience to face a stark irony. The Lamanites, as exemplified by Samuel himself as a prophet of the Lord, came to embody unshakable faithfulness when they came to believe and walked the covenant path, Alma 23, 5-6, 27, 26-30. 
Samuel himself will belabor this point with an extended wordplay on Lamanites in terms of the Hebrew concept Aleph MN. Faith, believe, belief, steadfast, true, truth, firm, firmness, etc. And unbelief, lo emun. Later in his speech, see Hilleman 15, 5-17. The Nephites, contrary to their own self-perceptions, had dwindled in unbelief and become delinquent from the covenant. Samuel's threefold use of the expression, believe on his name, in Hilleman 4.2 and 12.13, taps into the Nephites' long prophetic tradition of using this expression in reference to activating the doctrine of Christ. C.E.G. 2 Nephi 25, 13-14, Alma 5.48 and 11.40, C.F. 2 Nephi 9.24. But it also recalls Lamoni's report of the vision that culminated in the conversion of his whole household and eventually much of his kingdom and the broader Lamanite population people of whom Samuel appears to have been a descendant. Quote, For as sure as thou livest, behold, I have seen my Redeemer, and he shall come forth and be born of a woman, and he shall redeem all mankind who believe on his name. Hebrew Shemo. Alma 19.13, C.F. Alma 19.26, and 22.13. All of the foregoing uses of believe on his name have some reference to activating and living the doctrine of Christ, which Samuel insists the Nephites need to do. It was none other than Nephi, the son of Lehi, the great Nephite patriarch, who had declared as part of the doctrine of Christ that, quote, there is none other way nor name, Hebrew Shem, given under heaven, Shamaim, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. 2 Nephi 31.21, CF 2 Nephi 31.11-13. Of all the Book of Mormon writers, editors, or speakers who use forms of the phrase, believe on his name, Samuel gives us its most concentrated use in his speech to the recalcitrant Nephites of Zarahemla, suggesting his emphatic and conscious use of the phrase as a rhetorical strategy. Samuel, whose own name bore witness to the sanctity and power of the divine name, was perhaps the perfect messenger to draw on this earlier Nephite prophetic language to call them back to the doctrine of Christ. To the intent that ye might believe on his name. The next part of Samuel's speech brings the doctrine of Christ even nearer into the foreground. Samuel asserts a divine commission to preach repentance to the Nephites of Zarahemla as part of a broader commandment that they, quote, prepare the way of the Lord, close quote. Quote, and behold, thus hath the Lord commanded me by his angel, that I should come and tell this thing unto you. Yea, he hath commanded that I should prophesy these things unto you. Yea, he hath said unto me, Cry unto this people, Repent and prepare the way of the Lord. Hillman 14.9 Reynolds additionally notes that Nephi uses the expression, the way, Hebrew, derek, to describe the doctrine of Christ. Indeed, Alma the Younger Samuel the Lamanite and Moroni used the collocation prepare the way, Hebrew pina derek, literally clear the way, as a metonymic description for living the doctrine of Christ or walking the covenant path. Samuel the Lamanite's rejection by the Nephites had a strong socio-ethnic or racial component to it, as he declares in Helaman 14.10, quote, 
And now because I am a Lamanite, and hath spoken the words which the Lord hath commanded me, ye are angry with me, and do seek to destroy me. The Nephites saw themselves, not least in their times of general moral degeneracy and covenant delinquency, as the good, or the fair ones. They ever saw themselves thus vis-à-vis the Lamanites, whom they saw as the unfaithful, or those who had dwindled in unbelief. Samuel the Lamanite devotes much of the final stage of his speech, Helaman 15, to this very issue, as noted above. Samuel then uses language that again recalls his prophetic use of hear, Hebrew Shema, Egyptian SDM, and exploits the phonological similarity between Shemuel and that verb. Quote, And ye shall hear my words, for for this intent I have come up upon the walls of this city, that ye might hear and know of the judgments of God which do await you because of your iniquities, and also that ye might know the conditions of repentance. Hillman 14.11 Samuel presents himself as one of the raised-up prophets, like unto Moses, and typifying Christ, whom his Nephite or Israelite brethren must hear. Deuteronomy 18.15-19, CF 1 Nephi 22.20, 3 Nephi 20.23. Although ye shall hear might be understood with the deontic modality of ye must hear, the force of Samuel's evident use of Shema in the first instance comes across even stronger than an imperative. The Nephites of Zarahemla are going to hear Samuel, regardless of whether they desire to do so. In the second instance, here as used in the purpose clause, emphasizes that Nephites hearing the imminent and longer-term judgments of God and knowing how to avert them, the conditions of repentance, is requisite with his justice. C.F. E.G. Amos 3.7 All of this sets the stage for additional purpose clauses, two of which, like Helaman 14.2, include the onomastic elements in Shemuel, quote, and also that ye might know of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven, Shemaim, and of earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and that ye might know the signs of his coming, to the intent that ye might believe on his name, Shemo, Helaman 14.12. The noun Shamaim, heaven, adds paranomastic flavor to the word play on Shemuel, similar to the paranomasia of Genesis 11.4, quote, Let us build a city and a tower with its top in heaven, Shamaim, and let us make us a name, Shem, reputation, monument, memorial, close quote. Since, as he had stated previously, the Son of God was specifically coming to, quote, redeem all those who believe on his name, close quote, Samuel knew it was necessary to persuade these Nephites to activate the blessings of Christ's atonement through faith, quote, on his name, close quote, and living in obedience to the doctrine of Christ. The name Shemuel, his name is El, or the name he calls upon or invokes in worship, implied saving faith, or belief resident in the one so named. In other words, the meaning of the name Samuel itself encapsulates the doctrine of Christ, from faith in Jesus Christ to salvation in the kingdom of God. Thus, Samuel and his name, a name declared at the outset of his sermon, stood before the Nephites as an example and a symbol. The Nephites collectively had failed to glorify God and his name and thus embody the good they believe to be implied in the name Nephites, 
the good that their ancestor Nephi described as the doctrine of Christ. See Second Nephi 31 through 33. And if ye will believe on his name. A conditional clause follows immediately on the heels of Samuel's purpose clause. The language again, playing on his name. Quote, and if ye believe on his name, Shemo, ye will repent of all your sins, and thereby ye may have a remission of them through his merits. Helaman 14.13 This conditional clause constitutes a meristic reference to the doctrine of Christ, and alludes directly to Nephi's original explanation of that doctrine. For example, the remission of sins through repenting of all your sins, that Samuel mentions, has reference to Nephi's description of repentance and baptism as the gate, or the way, of life and salvation. Quote, For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh a remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in this straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Yea, ye have entered in by the gate. Ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. 2 Nephi 31, 17-18 Nephi had included, quote, the commandments of the Father and the Son, close quote, when he quoted them previously in his text, commandments which emphasized the importance of the name, Shem, of the Son, quote, And the Father saith, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. And also, the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name... To him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Second Nephi thirty one eleven through twelve. Nephi describes baptism as the means of taking upon oneself the name. Quote, Ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism. Second Nephi thirty one thirteen, and concludes regarding the doctrine of Christ and the name that quote, this is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. Signify 31.21, see also above. Additionally, Samuel's use of the phrase, through his merits, alludes to 2 Nephi 31.19, Ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Close quote. In terms of Lamanite conversion history, the phrase, through his merits, had another important intertextual reference, the royal speech of anti-Nephi-Lehi, Alma 24, 7-16. Samuel was very likely the descendant of Lamanites who heard this speech, and perhaps a descendant of King anti-Nephi-Lehi himself. Anti-Nephi-Lehi exclaimed, quote, And I also thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and also that he hath forgiven us of these our many sins and murders which we have committed, and took away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his Son. And now behold, my brethren, since it has been all we could do, as we were the most lost of all mankind, to repent of all our sins and the many murders which we have committed, and to get God to take them away from our hearts, for it was all we could do to repent sufficiently before God that he would take away our stains. Alma 24, 10-11 This again takes us back to Nephi's statements on the doctrine of Christ. Quote, For we labored diligently to write, 
to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. 2 Nephi 25.23 As Robert Millet has noted, Alma 24.10-11 sheds light on what Nephi's use of the much-debated phrase, all we can do, means. Namely, in one sense, all we can do is repent sufficiently before God. Against the backdrop of 2 Nephi 23.25, Alma 24.10-11, and 2 Nephi 31, Samuel's subsequent statement takes even more striking significance. Quote, Therefore repent ye, repent ye, lest by knowing these things and not doing them, ye shall suffer yourselves to come under condemnation, and ye are brought down unto this second death. Helaman 14.19 The second part of Samuel's prophecy concludes with an additional moristic allusion to the doctrine of Christ. This conclusion looks forward to the signs that would signify the Son of God glorifying the name of the Father and the climactic events of 3 Nephi 11-27, through 27, in which Jesus further glorified the name of the Father. In Helaman 14.25, Mormon preserves Samuel's prophecy regarding the post-resurrection appearance of many of the righteous dead, the same prophecy that Jesus had chided his Nephi disciples for failing to record. Samuel then, according to Mormon's record, predicts the signs that would attend the Messiah's death, verses 26-27. Samuel also makes a laconic reference to Jesus' post-mortal ministry among the Lamanites and Nephites beginning at the Temple in Bountiful. Quote, and the angel said unto me that many shall see greater things than these, to the intent that they might believe that these signs and these wonders should come to pass upon all the face of this land, to the intent that there should be no cause for unbelief among the children of men, and this to the intent that whosoever will believe might be saved, and that whosoever will not believe a righteous judgment might come upon them, and also if they are condemned they bring upon themselves their own condemnation. Helaman 14, 28-29 in addition to echoing the earlier purpose clause in verse 13, to the intent that ye may believe on his name, the purpose clause, to the intent that whosoever will believe might be saved, constitutes yet another moristic description of the doctrine of Christ, which encapsulates that doctrine as Jesus teaches it in 3 Nephi 11-27, through especially in 3 Nephi 11-40 and 27-2-22. Samuel's apparent repeated use of forms of the verbal root Aleph MN in the phrase that they might believe, no cause for unbelief, whosoever will believe, and whosoever will not believe, unavoidably returns the historical Nephite pejorative association of the Lamanites with unbelief to the forefront of his speech. His Nephite audience could not have failed to appreciate the high irony of a Lamanite prophet warning Nephites the goodly ones, or the fair ones, who had been, quote, chosen on account of their faith, close quote, against unbelief and the righteous judgment that would come upon, quote, whosoever will not believe, close quote. As noted previously, the major point, and maybe the entire point, of the last part of Samuel's speech, Hillman 15, is that the converted Lamanites had come to embody faith and faithfulness in spite of past unbelief 
verses 11 and 15, while the Nephites had become those who had dwindled in unbelief. See especially verse 17. Almost certainly Samuel had been born to faithful Lamanite parents, whose grandparents or great-grandparents had been among those Lamanites who had believed in the preaching of Ammon, Aaron, at all. See Alma 17-28. These parents consciously bestowed the name of an ancient Israelite prophet, one of the greatest, on their son who would become a prophet. It is also not unlikely that they knew what this name meant in their scriptural tradition. Again, worth noting is that the charismatic phrase, believe on his name, attested first in Nephi's writings on the small plates, 2 Nephi 23, 13-14, is attested frequently and in connection with the Lamanite conversions. See Alma 19.13 and 36, 22.13, 26.35. Samuel's name, Shemuel, thus appropriately echoes the events surrounding his ancestors' conversions as well as constituting a key part of his preaching. See again Helaman 14.2 and 12-13. His ancestors had responded to the preaching of Nephite missionaries and had activated the blessings of Christ's atonement and the promises of the Abrahamic covenant by living the doctrine of Christ, beginning with believing on his name. Samuel now returned as the descendant of these Lamanite converts to call the Nephites back to doing the same. There were many who heard the words of Samuel, activating the doctrine of Christ and the atonement of Christ. At the conclusion of his presentation of Samuel's speech, Helaman 13-15, Mormon devotes substantial attention to describing the reaction the speech engendered. Mormon first describes those who immediately respond in faith to Samuel's message, as well as those who initially disbelieve but subsequently believe. Significantly, the response of faith consisted in obedience to the doctrine of Christ. Quote, And now it came to pass that there were many which heard the words of Samuel the Lamanite, which he spake upon the walls of the city. And as many as believed on his words went forth and sought for Nephi. And when they had come forth and found him, they confessed unto him their sins, i.e. repented, and denied not, desiring that they might be baptized unto the Lord. But as many as there were which did not believe in the words of Samuel were angry with him, and they cast stones at him upon the wall, and also many shot arrows at him as he stood upon the wall. But the Spirit of the Lord was with him, insomuch that they could not hit him with their stones, neither with their arrows. Now when they saw this, that they could not hit him, there were many more which did believe on his words, insomuch that they went away unto Nephi to be baptized. For behold, Nephi was baptizing and a-prophesying and preaching, crying repentance unto the people, showing signs and wonders, working miracles among the people, that they might know that the Christ must shortly come, telling them of things which must shortly come, that they might know and remember at the time of their coming that they had been known unto them beforehand, to the intent that they might believe. Therefore as many as believed on the words of Samuel went forth unto him to be baptized, for they came repenting and confessing their sins. Helaman 16, 1-8 In this passage, Mormon's use of the phrase believed on the words of Samuel, Shemuel, echoes Samuel's refrain, believe on his name, Shemuel. Mormon's initial mention of the many who heard the words of Samuel 
again appears to juxtapose the verb shama with Shemuel, as a play on the prophet's name in a way that further connects it with earlier uses of shema as a proclamation formula. See earlier. Those who believed on the words of Samuel, in doing so, exercised faith in Jesus Christ, thus activating the doctrine of Christ and the blessings of his atonement. Their repentance consisted in seeking out Nephi and, quote, confessing unto him their sins, close quote. A key point here is that the faith and repentance of these people led straightway to their baptism at the hands of a prophetic priestly authority. Although Samuel had invoked the doctrine of Christ only in meristic fashion, hearing, i.e. obedient Nephites, seemed to have known that doctrine so well as to understand Samuel's words as an invitation and summons to baptism. Moreover, in stating that, quote, the Spirit of the Lord was with him, close quote, Mormon characterizes Samuel the Lamanite as a prophet legitimated by the Lord. The biblical prophet Samuel's legitimation in 1 Samuel 3.19 finds expression in nearly identical terms, quote, and the Lord was with him, close quote. This legitimation stands in stark contrast to the delegitimation of the Nephites, whose covenant delinquency had progressed to the point that they seek the life of a true prophet. Nephi, the son of Helaman, for his part, did many of the same things Samuel did. He declared the doctrine of Christ, prophesied of the coming of Christ, and showed signs and wonders to the Nephites in advance of that event. Both had been, quote, preparing the way of the Lord, close quote among the Nephites in the most meaningful sense of that expression, like John the Baptist had done in his sphere. All this, quote, to the intent that they, the Nephites, might believe, close quote, and activate the blessing to the atonement of Jesus Christ through obedience to his doctrine. A final literary echo of the name Samuel in the book of Helaman accompanies Samuel the Lamanite's departure from Mormon's narrative. Quote, but the more part of them did not believe in the words of Samuel. Therefore, when they saw that they could not hit him with their stones and their arrows, they cried unto their captains, saying, Take this fellow and bind him, for behold, he hath a devil. And because of the power of the devil which is in him, we cannot hit him with our stones and our arrows. Therefore take him and bind him and away with him. And as they went forth to lay their hands on him, behold, he did cast himself down from the wall and did flee out of their lands, yea, even unto his own country, and began to preach and to prophesy among his own people. And behold, he was never heard of more among the Nephites. And thus were the affairs of the people. Helaman 16, 6-8. Not believing in the words of Samuel, close quote, was tantamount to, quote, not believing in the name, Shemo, of the Son of God. The more part of the Nephites had become the embodiment of everything for which they had traditionally criticized and loathed the Lamanites. The Nephites were now the unfaithful, or those who had dwindled in unbelief. Samuel responds to the persistent Nephite effort to dispose of or kill him by fleeing home unto his own country. Mormon's assertion that he, Samuel, was never heard of more echoes the name Samuel in terms of the similar-sounding Shema here. I will fulfill all that which I have caused to be spoken by the mouth of my holy prophets, the fulfillment of Samuel's words and the doctrine of Christ. Mormon makes a major point of demonstrating that Samuel the Lamanite's prophecies regarding the birth of the Messiah 
and the signs attending this event came to complete fulfillment. The question among the Nephites five years after Samuel's prophecy, as Mormon presents it, were whether Samuel's words could still be fulfilled and, more than implicitly, was he a true prophet. But there were some who began to say that the time was past for the words to be fulfilled which were spoken by Samuel the Lamanite. And they began to rejoice over their brethren, saying, Behold, the time is past, and the words of Samuel are not fulfilled. Therefore your joy and your faith concerning this thing hath been vain. And it came to pass that they did make a great uproar throughout the land, and the people who believed began to be very sorrowful, lest by any means those things which had been spoken might not come to pass. But behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day, which should be as one day, as if there were no night, that they might know that their faith had not been vain. Now it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers, and all they who believed in those traditions should be put to death, except the sign should come to pass, which had been given by Samuel the prophet. 3 Nephi 1, 6-9 Mormon's use of the terms Lamanite, faith, believed, and steadfastly keep his audience immersed in issues of the traditional Nephite polemic against the Lamanites as Loemun, as described above. Now a Lamanite prophet, rather than one in the Nephite tradition, has authoritatively laid down the terms on which true faith and belief will emerge. The old ethnic distinctions are breaking down, as becomes clear in 3 Nephi 2, 14-16. Here the believers, or the faithful, are those who believed in the words of Samuel, and the traditions regarding the Messiah's coming. Those who believe in Samuel's prophecies believe in the one who sent him, and thus believe on his name. 11, 14, 2, and 12-13. These are the ones practicing the doctrine of Christ. In the microcosm of this pericope, which culminates in the fulfillment of Samuel's prophecies, the faithful who watch steadfastly for the signs of the Messiah's birth, in so doing, apply the fifth principle of the gospel, to endure to the end. C.F., quote, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ and endure to the end. Second Nephi 31.20 Their faith and faithfulness to the end find marvelous vindication when, quote, that day and that night and that day finally come to pass and the word comes to Nephi, quote, lift up your head and be of good cheer. For behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall the sign be given. And on the morrow come I into the world, to show unto the world that I will fulfill all that which I have caused to be spoken by the mouth of my holy prophets. Behold, I come unto my own to fulfill all things which I have made known unto the children of men from the foundation of the world, and to do the will of the Father and the Son, of the Father because of me, and of the Son because of my flesh. And behold, the time is at hand, and this night shall the sign be given. Third Nephi 1 13-14. Afterward, what is said of Samuel the prophet in the biblical book of Samuel becomes applicable to Samuel the Lamanite prophet. Quote, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. 1 Samuel 3.19 What the biblical writer says of the earlier Samuel takes on special poignancy when applied to Samuel the Lamanite in the context of pejorative Nephite views of the Lamanites. Quote, Samuel was established, Ne'aman, confirmed, verified, proven, faithful, Aleph M.N., to be a prophet of the Lord, 
1 Samuel 3.20. Samuel the Lamanite's words were proven faithful or true vis-a-vis the words of his Nephite critics, quote, who had not believed the words of the prophets, 3 Nephi 1.16, and had dwindled in unbelief, Helaman 15.17. They were heard to cry and mourn. Mormon brings Samuel the Lamanite to the forefront of his narrative again in 3 Nephi 8, as he chronicles the imminent fulfillment of Samuel the Lamanite's prophecy regarding the death of Jesus Christ. It had been 33 years from the time of the sign of the birth of the Son of God. See 3 Nephi 8, 2. Here Mormon states that, quote, The people began to look with great earnestness for the sign which had been given by the prophet Samuel the Lamanite. Yea, for the time that there should be darkness for the space of three days over the face of the land. 3 Nephi 8, 3. Mormon demonstrates that not only did the signs come to pass, but also that the people cried out with the very words that Samuel said they would cry. Quote, and it came to pass that it did last for the space of three days, that there was no light seen. And there was great mourning and howling and weeping among the people continually. Yea, great were the groanings of the people because of the darkness and the great destruction which had come upon them. And in one place they were heard to cry, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and then would our brethren have been spared, and they would not have been burned in that great city Zarahemla. And in another place they were heard to cry and mourn, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and had not killed and stoned the prophets and cast them out. Then would our mothers and our fair daughters and our children have been spared and not have been buried up in that great city Moranaha. And thus were the howlings of the people great and terrible. 3 Nephi 8, 23-25 Howling and weeping fulfilled Samuel's prophecy in Helaman 13, 32. Quote, then shall ye weep and howl in that day, saith the Lord of hosts. Close quote. The phrases, they were heard to cry, and they were heard to cry and mourn, and they were heard, cf. Hebrew, Wayeshamu, recalls the name of the giver of these signs and prophecies which were at that hour being fulfilled. The name of the prophet whom they had refused to hear, Shema, Samuel. Moreover, Mormon's imputation of the words, quote, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and had not killed the prophets and cast them out, close quote, to the people, constitutes an almost verbatim replication of the words that Samuel had predicted would be on the mouths of the Nephites. Quote, Oh, that I had repented and had not killed the prophets and stoned them and cast them out. Yea, in that day ye shall say, Oh, that we had remembered the Lord our God in the day that he gave us our riches. And then they would not have become slippery that we should lose them. For behold, our riches are gone from us. Behold, we layeth a tool here, and on the morrow it is gone. And behold, our swords are taken from us in the day we have sought them for battle. Yea, we have hid up our treasures, and they have slipped away from us because of the curse of the land. Oh, that we had repented in the day that the word of the Lord came unto us. For behold, the land is cursed, and all things are become slippery, and we cannot hold them. Behold, we are surrounded by demons. Yea, we are encircled about by the angels of him who hath sought to destroy our souls. Behold, our iniquities are great. O Lord, canst thou not turn away thine anger from us? 
and this shall be your language in them days. But behold, your days of probation is past. Ye have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is everlastingly too late, and your destruction is made sure. Yea, for ye have sought all the days of your lives for that which ye could not obtain, and ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity, which thing is contrary to the nature of that righteousness which is in our great and eternal head. O ye people of the land, that ye would hear my words, and I pray that the anger of the Lord be turned away from you, that ye would repent and be saved. Helaman 13, 33-39 The Nephites had been encircled about by the angels of him who hath sought to destroy their souls, and their iniquities had been great. Whereas the voice of Christ later described the fulfillment of Samuel's words thus, quote, The devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people, and it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. 3 Nephi 9.2 The Nephites of Mormon's time replicate the failure of the majority of the Nephites to hear Samuel during his time. Thus they could not activate the blessing to the doctrine of Christ and be saved. Mormon records the fulfillment of Samuel the Lamanite's prophecies again during his own time, the Nephites again were surrounded by evil and, quote, the power of the evil one, close quote. Quote, and these Gadianton robbers, which were among the Lamanites, did infest the land, insomuch that the inhabitants thereof began to hide up their treasures in the earth, and they became slippery, because the Lord had cursed the land, that they could not hold them, nor retain them again. And it came to pass that there were sorceries and witchcrafts and magics, and the power of the evil one was wrought upon all the face of the land, even unto the fulfilling of all the words of Abinadi and also Samuel the Lamanite. Mormon 1, 18-19 Not only did the possessions of the Nephites become slippery, the Nephites mourned and lamented again, as they had at the time of the death of Christ. Quote, and it came to pass that the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity, and began to cry even as had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own, for the thieves, and the robber, and the murderers, and the magic art, and the witchcraft which was in the land. And there began to be a mourning and a lamentation in all the land because of these things, and more especially among the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that when I, Mormon, saw their lamentation and their mourning, and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long-suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become a righteous people. But behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. Mormon 2, 10-13 the Nephites' abortive repentance at this closing stage in their history meant that they would not be saved collectively, neither, for the most part, individually. Mormon directly alludes to Samuel's speech to the Nephites who, quote, sought for happiness in doing iniquity, Helaman 13.18, when he asserted that the Nephites did not want to complete their repentance, quote, because the Lord did not always suffer them to take happiness in sin, Mormon 10.13. In other words, the inverse of Alma's corollary, wickedness never was happiness, i.e., 
the idea that one can eat, drink, and be merry, but nevertheless fear God, constitutes a doctrine incompatible with the doctrine of Christ, and, quote, the nature of that righteousness which is in our great and eternal head. Helaman 13.38 The Nephites did not cease to fear God, but also, quote, they did curse God and wish to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. Mormon 2.14 Conclusion the word play on Samuel in Helaman 14.2, 12-13, and 3rd Nephi 23.9 approaches more nearly the actual etymology of the name Samuel, Shemuel, than most of the literary word play on Samuel that occurs in the Samuel-Saul cycle in the Hebrew Bible. The meaning and symbolism of Shemuel, his name is El, i.e. a Shem, which glorifies El, Samuel's rhetorical wordplay on his own name and Jesus' wordplay on the name all converge in Moroni's moristic description of the doctrine of Christ. Quote, but because of the faith of men, he has showed himself unto the world and glorified the name, Shem, of the Father and prepared a way that thereby others might be partakers of the heavenly gift, that they might hope for those things which they have not seen. Ether 12.8 Samuel's prophecies emphasized believing on the name of the Son of God, Helaman 14.2 and 12-13, and the signs that would mark the latter's coming in mortality when the Son would glorify the name of the Father, and the Father would glorify His name in His Son Jesus Christ, 3 Nephi 23.9. Jesus had testified regarding the prophets in ancient Israelite tradition, Verily I say unto you, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have testified of me. 3 Nephi 20.24 One of those prophets, quote, that followed after, close quote, was Samuel the Lamanite. In the case of Samuel, truly nomen est omen, the name is the sign. Samuel's name constitutes a most appropriate sign, a sign that not only would Jesus fulfill all the words of the prophets concerning him, 3 Nephi 1.14, but also a sign that he himself would glorify the name of the Father in all things. Ether 12.8, CF 3.21, 3 Nephi 11.11, and a sign that the Father would fully glorify his name in him. 3 Nephi 9.15, 11.7, Author's note. I would like to thank Susie Bowen, Jeff Lindsay, Alan Wyatt, Victor Worth, Tanya Spackman, Don Norton, and Daniel C. Peterson. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an Associate Professor in Religious Education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He is also the author of Name as Key Word, Collected Essays on Onomastic Wordplay and the Temple in Mormon Scripture. Salt Lake City, Interpretive Foundation and Eborn Books, 2018. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of If Ye Believe on His Name, Wordplay on the Name Samuel, in Helaman 14.2 and 12-13, and 3 Nephi 23.9 and the Doctrine of Christ in Samuel's Speech, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 46, 2021, 
Read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpretafoundation.org. More information about the Interpretive Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpretafoundation.org.